Carl Dean. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Tonight we're uh, privileged to bring uh, a special edition of the program with Senator Bob Corker. He was U.S. Senator from Tennessee from 2007 to 2018. Uh, they'll be talking about the United States place in the world and challenges we face. Bob Corker is a successful businessman, former United States Senator, and was previously named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine. As mentioned, Senator Corker represented Tennesseans in the Senate from 2007 to 2018, where he served as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and became a national and global thought leader on fiscal, financial, and foreign policy issues. He was Tennessee's commissioner of finance and mayor of Chattanooga before being elected to the Senate, but he spent most of his life in business. This evening, Senator Corker and Mayor Dean will be talking about the challenges the United States faces abroad and the impact of international developments on the state of Tennessee. And now, Mayor Carl Dean and Senator Bob Corker. Well, thank you, Pat. And um, Senator Corker, welcome um, to Global Nashville. And thank you for taking the time out of your, I'm sure, busy schedule to do this. Mayor, I'm glad to do it. I respect so much what you did while you were mayor. And uh, the city's just, uh, it's just blossoming. It's unbelievable what's happening there. So thanks for having me. And Pat, thank you for seeing me again. I love seeing you in our offices when you would come up. If I could, Mayor, I do want to just give a disclaimer. I, I used to get info coming into my office every morning about 4.30 in the morning, or to me. I uh, had prime ministers, foreign ministers, defense ministers in the office uh, almost daily, and I did weekend trips to places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and other places. I've done none of that for two years and three months, and so uh, you're probably more up to speed on foreign policy than I am right now, but I'll try to make it through this. Please don't ask me any tough questions, though. <laughs> I will not, but uh, I am sure you uh, you have, uh, you, you know more than most of us and certainly more than me. Well, first, let me just say something about your services, Mayor of Chattanooga. Um, you know, I know you have gone on to do great work for the state. You've gone on to be a uh, a very distinguished U.S. Senator, but you certainly, I think, amongst mayors um, are, are known for the huge success you had as mayor of Chattanooga when you helped uh, redevelop that community, uh, put Chattanooga on the map as one of the most exciting cities in America. And, and I personally thank you because every time I think I encountered you when I was mayor and you were senator, you always said I had a great, I had the best job in the world being a mayor. You did. Uh, you did. You made you me did. feel good. <laughs> Well, you definitely did, and you had such impact, and you did it so gracefully. So uh, anyway, my hat's off to you. And you know, there used to be, there was Chattanooga Envy for a little while by folks in Nashville, and then you guys just, uh, uh, just took over the world. So, you know, people all around the world and certainly around the country are, are looking at Nashville as such a, a wonderful place to be. And of course, I think Chattanooga is too, and thank you for that. But Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, everybody in the United States looks at what you did in the riverfront in Chattanooga as being an example of how a city needs to, you know, direct itself toward its river, build around that, um, improve the community, and you're sort of the model, so. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, let thank me ask you this to start with. What, what have you been up to? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, it's, it's been an interesting transition and I've been through several, you know, I was commissioner of finance, as you mentioned, and then I had some 
time to transition. I sold a company when I was 37. I had time to transition. And so I've learned to be patient. Uh, and especially at my age at 68, what you don't want to do is make a mistake that you have to unwind. And Admiral Mullen and David Petraeus and others would uh, counsel me before I was leaving about uh, certainly doing that. But um, I immersed myself back in the community. Um, I have uh, been been very involved in business. It's something that I really missed. You know, I woke up mayor one day and was doing the math. And from the time I was 41 to 66 leaving the Senate, I, I thought I'd always been a business guy, but I realized for 20 and a half of those 25 years, I'd been running or serving for public in public office. So, you know, I've immersed myself back here. Um, I am serving as a special advisor to Jeffries, which is an investment bank in New York. I've never been to their offices, obviously, but but I found that uh, interesting. You know, I was uh, more of a, a different kind of businessman and did things from the ground up. And I've, I've learned so much. I deal with their their people around the world, and it's it's been interesting. You know, one of the great things about being a senator. Uh, the best job in the world is being a mayor, and the best job in the world is being mayor of, especially a mayor of a city where there's 40 council members and no county government. So you no doubt had the best job in America. But uh, one of the things about being a senator is you 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 know you have access to information. There's almost no one that won't call you back. And so the Jeffries piece is uh, is somewhat like that in, in that I'm just seeing so much every day. And I spend about 30% of my time doing that. I'm chairman of a healthcare company that that runs clinics for self-insured employers. We've got such great opportunities. I'm going to be over in Nashville on Tuesday interviewing some people. Um, but uh, And then I'm chairman of a, a, a development operation where I'm providing the equity for some young developers who are outstanding, the best I've ever worked with. And, and then I'm doing a few other things. So I've got plenty to do. Uh, I still get to come over to Nashville and see my grandkids, but uh, it's a good period of time in my life, and uh, I'm very thankful. feel like I'm the most blessed person in the world to have had the experiences I've had, but also to be able to come back home and, and live a normal life. Yeah, that's great. Um, when you look back at your service in the Senate and you think about being the chairman of the, of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and just to your predecessor, let, let's not forget, was, was Joe Biden, who was president of the United States. And you think about Henry Cabot Lodge back uh, in the early part of the 20th century, who had such a huge influence on, on foreign policy. Uh, you think of J. William Fulbright and others. I mean, it is one of the top positions in, in US government. And, and that was quite an achievement to, to attain that position. Um, just give us, how did you enjoy that position? I mean, what what yeah. how, what, what was your when you yeah. found, when you became chairman? What what did you think? Well, first of all, you're right. I came on the committee. Uh, I, I went on the committee as I was telling you and Pat earlier, um, really just to make myself a better senator for people in Tennessee. Um, I had been a mayor, a commissioner of finance. I had built shopping centers all around the country. I knew nothing about foreign policy. I mean, really, I know that you've. Put a lot of effort into that. I know Pat's put a lot of effort into that, but but I really had had not. And so I went on the committee and I camped on the committee. One of the things you learn uh, in the Senate is if 
if you if you're there, you put out the effort. I traveled extensively. I mean, I would do death marches around the world uh, just to find out when something was when something was amiss. I'd go meet with the people. I'd go see what was happening. And of course, just like in business or anything else, uh, you spend 80% of your time on problems and 20% of your time on opportunities. So I didn't spend a lot of time in nice places when I was doing that. But um, it was a, an incredibly learning learning experience, uh, uh, especially as I began to, to gain seniority. Uh, Barack Obama, by the way, was on the committee when I first was there. He you know, quickly became president. I came and was elected in 06, came in 07, January 3rd. He became president. Two years later, Vice President Biden became Vice President Biden. And then John Kerry actually took over and was there until, and he and Dick Luger were the leaders. And then, and then I became the lead Republican in uh, right after the 2012 election. So look, it's a uh, foreign, foreign relations is the one place I think that we, uh, we always tried to start every policy move in a bipartisan way. It's the one place, I hope it's still that way. It's hard for me to tell right now, but we never, I never ever considered a piece of legislation ever to come before the committee that didn't have bipartisan co-sponsors, people that had really worked at solving a problem. So look, we had hearings nonstop, uh, Mayor, uh, incredible information flow. As I mentioned, people were in our office, uh, you know, from all around the world, like every day. Um, it was just a, a, a tremendous learning experience. Now, the frustration is uh, that really the administrations have, they have, it's so, the, the White House is so, and the State Department has so much power over the foreign relations area. And to pass a really meaningful bill, um, it takes so much work, especially if the administration is opposing it. So. You find yourself, uh, Mayor, being more of an influencer uh, in many ways uh, and, and, and shaping public opinion and shaking, shaping opinion in the Senate and the House. Um, so legislatively, for instance, you know, if you're on appropriations committee, you're doing something every year. If you're on, if you're on defense, you know, you're passing an authorization every year. Uh, being, in, being chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee is different than that. But what an honor it was. You have no idea what well, you, you two do and many of the people tuning in. You have no idea how people around the world look at the United States of America. And obviously I was representing the United States of America. There was you know, almost no leader that if I was there would not meet with me. Um, so it was quite an honor. Um, and again, um, um, we, we, we did extensive, extensive traveling around the world, which is really the best way to learn. But, but it was an honor. Uh, it had its frustrations. Uh, you know, one of the, I'll say one other little thing, uh, something about foreign relations. Uh, sometimes senators think they're taking a free shot. So it's not really going to impact people back home. And one of the toughest things I had to fend off was, uh, was senators trying to make a name for themselves by being the most, whichever side of the aisle, being the most extreme. Uh, and, and, and they almost, you know, they were, I felt like sometimes they weren't really thinking about the impact of what that policy would be. And, uh, and by the way, uh, while we don't do this in, to other countries, they to us are watching 
they're watching what we're doing in the foreign relations committee. They're watching what we're saying. So I think the toughest part of the job was really trying to keep things in the middle of the road and really causing people to realize that the things we did had huge impact in other places. And we needed to be just as thoughtful about those things uh, as some of the policies we tried to put, put in place back home. When, as chairman, what was your vision of what the United States's place in the world should be, or, or how did, what, where, did you, where did you think we should be going in yeah. terms of our foreign policy? So I, I thought that the United States should play the leading role in the world and not to the extent of, of looking down at anyone else, but look, we were the most powerful country in the world in every measurable way. And uh, it was up to us to lead, to, to bring people together, uh, to respect other people's opinion, to respect our alliances, but to demonstrate by example. And, and Mayor, I, I to this day believe that, that in doing so, it makes our own citizenry so much safer, so much better off economically uh, in every way. And so this whole retrenchment that we're not only seeing here and have seen for, for, for at least four years, but we're seeing in other places, um, obviously, we need to. We have no foreign policy unless our own country is strong, right? I mean, if we're not strong at home, then we have no foreign policy that's worth carrying out. And that means, by the way, in every way. And when we're divided, which countries see us now? When, when we're hurting economically, when financially we're in disarray. Uh, I'm not saying that's necessarily where we are today, but, but uh, you know, we we don't have the ability to carry out foreign policy. So. Um, I just thought that was our role, um, and uh, I think that our citizenry is so much better off when we assume that mantle. Um, our ability to convene, our ability to, to influence um, has been up until, I mean, China's obviously moving into a very strengthened place themselves, but it has been second to none. And, uh, and obviously, as you know, Mayor, when, you, when you're in a position uh, of strength, uh, you, you need to demonstrate that strength by, by being humble, if you will, in, in so much of what you do to, to, to bring people along with you. Speak softly and carry a big stick is sort of the... Yeah, and, and, but you know, not, you know, um, you don't have to be showing the stick. I mean, people know you have it and, right. and uh, you know, that look, our military is second to none currently. Um, our, our intelligence, maybe, you know, there are a few other countries that are pretty good at it as you've seen, but uh, um, we, we have been the world leader. Um, I'm glad to see that there we're focused again on alliances and which are so important. Um, and uh, I'll just stop there. So during your time on uh, the Foreign Relations Committee, obviously the Iraq was probably a major, major yeah. if not the most important issue you dealt with. It was. I remember uh, uh, very early on, um, I, I came on the committee and, and all of a sudden there was discussions about a surge in Iraq. And I remember going over to meet with uh, President Bush and Dick Cheney and Stephen Hadley, uh, National Security Advisor, and 
Yes. I mean, it was, uh, there were big decisions to be made early on. Of course, at that point, we were so deeply uh, mired in the conflict that, you know, the certainly just withdrawing was not, not an option. And so how do you get to a place where you can try to get to the other side? And so, yes, it was a uh, heady. People were losing their lives. Uh, decisions that were being made were, were, were so important. Uh, and really what was happening during that time, uh, Mayor, is we, were, we, we took resources uh, out of Afghanistan, which as you know, everybody thought, quote, quote, was the good war. Uh, we took resources, huge resources out of Afghanistan to Iraq. And what we ended up doing really is having years and years uh, as a result of that, um, years and years of just never really uh, getting ahead of the problems that we were dealing with. I'm thankful that uh, it's really interesting that Iraq is actually, and of course they have resources that Afghanistan doesn't have. I mean, Af Afghanistan's got nothing, okay, as far as resources and GDP, nothing relative uh, to Iraq. Iraq at least has those resources. And, you know, uh, the company is, the country is semi-functioning and uh, hopefully over time will become a, a more mature democracy. Was there a big, so you were involved with the Iraq issue under the Bush administration and then under the Obama administration. Was there a huge change in? There really wasn't. Uh, I think, you know, the, uh, the, there was a big change. Uh, I think it was probably in the year. Uh, and I, you know, I've never taken any notes, Mayor, and I probably, you know, <laughs> probably should have. I'd see other senators writing everything that happened in every meeting. You know, you know they're going to write a book someday, but I, I just never thought about doing that kind of thing. But I think in the year about 2013 uh, was when uh, I, I think President Obama made a fatal move uh, of really drawing down uh, in a way that wasn't consistent with our responsibilities there. And then, as you know, we ended up, you know, having to, uh, to deal with that again, but uh, but generally speaking, no. Um, there were the it was it was a different tone as far as the way they spoke about it, but what we carried out on the ground for for many years in the early years of the Obama administration was 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 pretty consistent with what President Bush was doing. In that same area of the world, uh, Iran. Um, obviously, there was the the Iran deal. Yeah, which then the Trump administration got out of, and now I'm not quite sure where we stand or what where the Biden administration is going. But what were your thoughts on that? And in, in, in terms of number one, working together across party lines, but also what what that yeah. meant for the U.S. in terms of, of it being a good deal or a bad deal. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had worked very closely with the Obama administration on the START treaty. Um, in some ways, I felt like uh, without being too modest, that I help, I really helped pull it across the line. Um, to me, it was a no-brainer. Um, we had way too many warheads that was wearing us out maintenance-wise. We didn't know whether they worked or not, and we were so much better off having a smaller arsenal that we knew worked <laughs> that we could rely upon. And and uh, you know, some of the some of the uh, guidance facilities. I've been out to our labs and seen the development of these. I've seen some of our stockpiles, and you know, this believe me, this is far more sophisticated than some of the guidance systems we had on our nuclear weapons at the time. So, 
to be able to reinvest the savings in upgrading, uh, uh, you know, our nuclear arsenal was very important. And so I support it. So as we moved to the Iran deal, I, you know, had worked with them closely on that. Uh, obviously paid close attention to the Iran. By this time, I'm, I'm chairman of the committee. Um, and, I, you know, I ended up not supporting the Iran agreement. And, the, the, you know, there the was a, the major flaw in the agreement. And I think the deal came together, Mayor, in, in uh, maybe October of 2015. So, you know, we're four and a half years away from it ending. But at the end of 10 years, there was a sunset provision. And it was a huge flaw. Um, we were giving Iran the ability, they were using IR1 centrifuges, which are like antiques. We gave them the ability during that period of time to develop our twos, our fours, our sixes, and our eights. I'm in my office in Chattanooga right now with our eight centrifuges. In my little office here, you can develop vast amounts of enriched uranium. And so we were allowing them to, to develop those, helping them economically by relieving sanctions. And, and that was a major, major flaw. We also didn't deal with the ballistic missiles, which is a greater threat to Israel than the nuclear piece is. And we really didn't deal with what they were doing in other parts uh, of the region. So um, I actually am kind of proud of this. I, I, I wrote a letter to the Obama administration. I remember in May of the year that all this was happening and I asked them how they planned to implement it on a Friday and I couldn't believe it on Saturday night they answered me and they said we're going to go straight to the UN Security Council and do it by executive. Um, we're not going to have any vote of Congress or anything else so so I got to work and unbelievably was able to pass a piece of legislation I don't want to bore your audience with all the details but they're actually pretty fascinating. I passed a piece of legislation with a unanimous vote out of the committee and then a 98 to one vote on the floor. Uh, uh, Senator Boxer wasn't present to force the administration to bring that agreement to Congress. It was called ANARA. And it also forced them to lay out all the intelligence, all the appendixes, all of the things that go with an agreement like this. And uh, it really educated the world it educated us it educate, educated all the senate and house members and it was really the the first real pushback that i had witnessed by congress on an administration trying to carry out foreign policy uh the obama administration and i had a close relationship with they were livid uh, i don't say that to be haughty but they were truly livid because they had to wait 90 days to go to the security council on the house on the senate floor we were only able to get uh, 56 or 58 votes. Uh, Chuck Schumer voted against the bill. Bob Menendez voted against the bill. Uh, I mean, he voted against them being able to implement Senator Cardin. Uh, but uh, obviously, we didn't have the votes to stop it. The best way to do these things, Mayor, as you know, is to do it through a treaty. Because as you know, that you know, so then the Trump administration comes in and they undo it. Uh, I could tell you about some negotiations that went on there, but we'd probably be prolonging the topic too much. But, but now what it's done is, is uh, you know, Iran and Europe, by the way, are saying, well, look, you know, if, if we can undo this thing every four years or be on and off, I don't know, the credibility of the United States is a little bit questionable here. Um, as far as Iran goes, um, 
um, obviously they're a they're they're not a good influence in the region. I know people there are highly educated. They're you know uh, in many ways it's a civilization that's been around for many many years. But there's no question um, that uh, they're doing evil things in the region and and the revolution. You know it's a revolution. It, it's just not over. Uh, meaning that the clergy there still believes it's ongoing, while the people of the a country does not. They want to move on and. That's right. The people of the country, I, I really think that, you know, without this regime that's in place, um, uh, but they are, they are, um, uh, without, uh, I think there's a possibility that uh, uh, we could be, we could be like-minded on many issues, but with this regime in place, that's just not, uh, not right. where we're going to be. That the um, it comes to mind when you're working on the Iran, when you're on the Foreign Relations Committee and serving as chair, you're working with the Secretary of State, who was John Kerry at that point. Right. And so, somebody you had worked with on the committee, does does that make it easier having that personal relationship or experience together? I don't know. I mean, you know, John is. Uh... John's John. We we did something together right after uh, I left the Senate in, in Davos. Um, we've always had a warm relationship. We got it was a little, um, you know, things like that. I mean, people are personally invested, right? I mean, he'd spent, you know, years. I don't know if you remember, but he he's he in a clandestine way while he's head of the committee went to Oman to to begin the discussions on behalf of the Obama administration. So, when anybody's invested in their product, just like if you were trying to do something in the city of Nashville and the council uh, revolts, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's testy. And, and so, yes, it was, it became testy, but we never ever uh, got to a situation where it was uh, um, unpleasant or anything like that. Um, actually, John gave us the opening in the committee, uh, Tim Kaine, I'll never forget this. So we're having a hearing with Senator Kerry Congress had put the sanctions in place on Iran. Congress had led putting the sanctions in place on Iran through the year, series of them. So, uh, and I kind of set this up, but I, I, Senator Kane says to, to Secretary Kerry, he says, well, Congress put these sanctions in place. Are you saying that we're not going to have any say on leaving on alleviating these sanctions you're just going to go to the u.n security council and do it all by yourself and and secretary Kerry says um well no you're going to have a say and and senator kane says when he says in eight years so boom the light went off i knew right then i had an ally uh to to pass okay. the peace legend i'm talking about you know kane was the first and then and then came along another one, and, and believe it or not, by the time we voted on it, it was unanimous. But you know, John, you know, John's John's a, a person I enjoyed working with. Um, but sometimes he would conduct himself in a manner that would create openings uh, for other things to happen. Yeah, and so you worked. Um, you, you were on foreign relations also when uh, Secretary Clinton was there. Yes. Yes. And how was that? I mean, just, just you, you know, know, I, I, you know, I, of course, you know, my Republican friends would become angry with me when I would say this, but she was very responsive. I, I don't remember her 
being on a foreign trip uh, and me calling her about something that she didn't call me back that day. I mean, she was incredibly responsive. I had, uh, remember she had served in the Senate, you know, she had served in the Senate prior to that also. And she was, by the way, a respected Senator, someone people knew she had done her homework. Um, she tried to work across the aisle when she was in the Senate. Um, her, her time there was not as eventful you know, she she logged a lot of miles, you know, more more miles around the world than any other uh, secretary of state up until that time. And as you know, uh, Mayor, sometimes you're defined by the things that are occurring while you're there. Right. I, I mean, you know, you could be a perfectly great, you know, secretary of something. But if nothing's really happening, then, you know, it's not acknowledged. And so. It was a period of time when there really wasn't that much going on. I think she did spend a lot of her time, uh, you know, traveling, uh, sort of being an ambassador, if you will, from the United States to the world. And then in the end, as you know, the 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 thing happened in, oh my gosh, Benghazi. Uh, Benghazi, and you know, I happened to be there by the way a week after uh, it occurred, and so really had some. You know, tough times with the staff there and their losses and just everything. But, but the Benghazi thing, you know, caused her to leave there. Uh, actually, was you know, overseeing the hearings, um, but caused her to leave there with a, with a little bit of a, a taint, as you can imagine. Um, and I don't I don't know that we ever got to the bottom of all of that. But my point is, I, I had a perfectly warm. Uh, professional relationship with her and uh, always found her to be very responsive to anything I might have inquired about. Yeah. And what's your sense now? Um, I think you've talked about this already, where you talked about the importance of alliances and cooperation on an international level. Um, and, and we went through a period um, during the Trump administration where there was less of a stress put on that, less of a priority. Um, do you think the Biden administration is moving in the right direction and, and can they turn the ship fast enough to get us back where we're building our alliances and working together? Yes, I, I do think they're moving in the right direction. And, and Tony Blinken, who I also worked with, he was uh, an undersecretary or deputy, deputy secretary of state uh, during those years too. Um, obviously, he's very oriented towards those alliances um, so, so yes, I do. Now, again, I, I do want to say, um, when, when people see the, the significant departure that was seen, you know, from years, you know, 2017 to, to, uh, early 2021, um, and, and by the way, with NATO, I will say we actually, we did on the ground, what we were doing was stronger than we had been doing in years. But it was the rhetoric, if you will, the rhetoric that caused people to question what our commitment was. Um, and so when they see our democracy and they see people, you know, scaling the walls of the Capitol and breaking in, and then you see, um, you see presidents, you know, going in opposite directions, which by the way, had just not been the case in modern history, right? I mean, presidents had a different slant, but they honored the alliances. And so um, I, I got to believe that these countries, while on one hand they welcome the reach out, they still are questioning what, what's going to be the case in, in 2024, 25, 25 after the 2024 election. So I do think they're moving in the right direction. 
Um, I will say with a caveat, I do hope, I mean, the one foreign policy, huge success that the Trump administration had, and as you know, I had a very raucous relationship with them, so I, I, I'm not saying this. I've, to, heard, I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, so, so uh, the one huge success was the Abraham Accords. It's just phenomenal, Mayor, what's happening in that region. And, you know, with the normalizing of relations between Israel and, and these other Arab countries with more, no doubt more to come. And what I hope doesn't happen is the, the just out of whatever that the Biden administration moves to reinstate the Iran deal uh, on the, under similar terms to what it was, I, that is, a, in my opinion, a massive mistake. And they need to bring Israel along, bring the Arabs along, because the economic breakthroughs there are, are just tremendous. And um, I mean, things are happening there, Mayor, that have never happened. And so we need to keep that going. It economically, politically uh, could have a massive massive long-term benefit to the region. One of the biggest changes that, um, in my mind, that the Trump administration uh, did in terms of foreign policy was our relationship with China. Um, I mean, I think certainly whether it's political and the rhetoric that was in the, the election in 2016, uh, Donald Trump talked about China in a different way than politicians had for uh, ever, I think, in the United States. Um, and the Biden administration is continuing in a, to an extent of saying this is our number one challenge, this is our number yeah. one threat. Um, right. What's your perception of all that, thinking back now, pre-2016, yeah. were, we, were we not paying enough attention to China or were we too optimistic? Should we have done the Pacific trade deal? What, and then was yeah. Donald Trump right and is Joe Biden right now? Well, you know, we, our, our countries, you know, and you, you and Pat are far more steeped in history, I'm sure, than I am. But, you know, history is wrought with, with, you know, superpowers or strong countries being passed by other countries. And typically a war takes place uh, when that occurs. And so, um, you know, it's the most important relationship that there is for us to manage, no question. I think that what... Uh, what China was doing, what they're continuing to do in violation of the WTO, which we obviously allowed them to ascend to uh, early on, um, what they're doing is, is, is violation in every way. I mean, they're stealing our intellectual property. We know that they're, they're you know, um, not allowing us to compete fairly within their own country. Um, it's, uh, and by the way, they know it. My, my counterpart over there, sure, that's, that's, that's what we're doing. And by the way, they would say, well, that's what y'all did during the Industrial Revolution. I never understood how the two uh, worked together. I, I didn't remember it quite that way, but, but uh, I think all of that was building and the pressure was building and you had people in our own country that the, 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 you know, that it was culminating here of so many people who thought their lives was, were gonna be better than what they were. They thought they'd be economically better off. Their family situation just wasn't working for them. And so I think all of those things came together and created this, this populist moment in our country, which has happened in other countries, as you know. And I think, you know, China, 
China was the, the perfect uh, person to push back for, for back on both in substance, by the way, but also in optics. And so I think what the what the Trump administration did do, they did a great job of causing everybody in America to understand what they were doing. They did a great job of that. Both he and Secretary Clinton, if you remember, opposed TPP. And um, and it's a it's it's a shame that we couldn't have had TPP with some of the improvements we had in the NAFTA agreement. I mean, actually, some of the improvements we had in the, in the whatever we call the thing now, U.S. something MCA or whatever we call it, um, you know, if, if those those actually came from TPP, I mean, those concepts. So, you know, we blew an opportunity and the politics in our country wouldn't wouldn't sustain it anyway, but we blew an opportunity to really have an organized effort against what China was doing. Uh, where, the, where the Trump administration did not get good marks is we went, at, we went, at, we went mono to mono and we didn't attempt to, to try to pull the other countries together with us so that we had enough strength to really carry it out. And then we started throwing these willy nilly tariffs around that just weren't even thought about, which were damaging. Mm -hmm. So, so they did a great job causing people to understand. And like you said, now Biden understands, the people of America understand. Um, um, but uh, we've got to do a better job of pulling other countries together, which will be difficult. You know, think about Germany, all the cars they manufacture. Think about China and the number that they buy and growing dramatically all the time. So pulling people together will be difficult, but together we're so much stronger than we are one one on one. Right. It seemed to me that the Pacific Trade Agreement in 2016, it kind of hit the perfect storm where Donald Trump figured out that China as a almost a populist issue, fighting trade, and then Hillary Clinton was running for president. And she wasn't going to support that because Bernie Sanders was going the other direction. Right. And that's probably what we needed. But uh, free trade does not have the advocates it used to have. It's... Um, you know, I don't, uh, I never did, you know, I wasn't a poller, uh, but I've seen recent polls where actually trade is, at least among Republicans, which, you know, it obviously went down the tubes under the, 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 the recent administration, but I, it's actually a, a, a net, very positive issue uh, today among Republicans. And you know, uh, Mayor, I tried to push back on, on these willy-nilly using the national security waiver to throw tariffs on Canada, tariffs on Mexico, tariffs, you know, it's just hurting U.S. companies, as you know well. Um, it wasn't, you know, he kept saying these other countries are paying for it. Not true. I'm sorry. And while you might be saving a few jobs in the steel industry with those, you were crushing thousands and hundreds of thousands of jobs in other places around our country because of the supply chain that was that was necessary. Um, so I, I, you know, tried to push back on that. I had legislation to do that. My friend Pat Toomey and others were with me, Ben Sass. Uh, it's interesting, that is an issue that uh, uh, the Democratic Party just, sorry, not, not there, you know, because uh, just the, uh, so the politics of us rightfully pushing back on an executive taking advantage of the 1974 Trade Act in a way that was never envisioned. Um, we just weren't really, we, we couldn't muster the strength to do it. Well, let me ask you this question because this 
or you know, so many things to talk about, but one of the, I guess, existential issues in foreign relations now and has been for several years is global warming. And this, I guess yeah. we go back to John Kerry now with his current yeah. position. How do you see that issue? I mean, how do you see it the way that I guess the Biden administration does in terms of this is one of the biggest threats to humankind right now? And it's something we have to address as a world. And, and how do we build the support to actually deal with this issue? You know, uh, I, I don't view it quite like they do and that I feel more uh, sober about it. it. It's not religion. You know, I mean, I don't mean that to in any way. Well, I am being a somewhat pejorative, but you know, these are issues, they become religion, right? And so, you know, whatever, God, um, you know, I had a very unsatisfying meeting with uh, the, I think his name was Jim Connington, who was uh, President Bush's person on this topic. And I remember, I met him actually over at the Capitol in one of these ornate rooms. And I remember him telling me, Bob, I mean, all these things like carbon tax and, and uh, which I was open to, by the way, carbon tax or, you know, of course, uh, no, no, it's, we, we, we've got to have technology to make this work. And I thought, God, this is not a very fulfilling meeting. I want to, you know, I want to do something about it. I'm convinced that he was so right. And I look at what's happening in our country right now. I mentioned my Jeffrey's relationship. I mean, just what's happening in the whole pursuit of the private sector investment, you know, on the ESG efforts and, and all the things that are taking place. I really do believe that we are moving substantially uh, to overcoming that issue in our own country. You know, the, the, uh, the Paris Climate Accord, as you know, there was nothing about it that was binding. You know, every country made up their own goals. And I, I didn't think it was particularly useful for the Trump administration to get out of it. I'd rather be sitting at the table. And by the way, U.S. companies being a part of, of uh, and I know many of them met in a ad hoc anyway, but wouldn't we want to be leading the world in these new technologies, which by the way, we, we are in so many ways. But I, I think that, you know, it, it's really so much of what we do in government is, is wasteful. I think basic research obviously is not, but uh, I'm really, what I'm seeing, Mayor, is the private sector rising to the occasion. And I'm seeing, you know, investment funds you know, uh, making that be the case. And uh I think we're I think we're going to make a lot of progress on the issue by virtue of entrepreneurs and others investing in technology to make it happen. I mean, we're becoming here in Chattanooga, and actually the state is general. We're becoming the the world leader in in lithium batteries right now. And uh, I was out at a plant today looking at a component of that. And so I'm upbeat about it. But let's face it, um, uh, for the other developing countries. Um, you know, telling them that, I'm sorry, you've got to, you know, you've got to stay at a very low GDP and low standard of living. Uh, that's not going to work. So they're, they're, it's, it's difficult to get the world to act together because everybody has their self-interest uh, at stake. But uh, I, I, see, I see much, much progress being made. But for the people who's, who, who, who it's religion, I mean, we got to embrace these small modular nuclear plants, don't we? I mean, we need base power. We've got to have a, a grid system that runs throughout the entire United States. I mean, we saw what happened down in Texas. Well, the 
to utilize these, you know, alternative sources of energy. But but I, I, I'm not trying to be confrontational, but a lot of environmentalists don't want to see, uh, you know, a national grid system because of what it. So I'm I'm hopeful, um, and I say sober because I see so much happening in the world today uh, that is demonstrating technological breakthroughs, uh, which are going to be the solution uh, to this issue. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, um, we're running out of time. I know there's some uh, viewer questions, but um, what would you say to Tennesseans? This is sort of the heart of the work that this organization tries to do. Why should Tennesseans be interested in world affairs? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously not as immediate as, you know, what you're doing as mayor of what you did as mayor of Nashville. And, and, uh, but I, I, especially recently, mayor, I've, I've been so despondent over people's lack of willingness you know, for a democracy to flourish, we have to have a citizenry that takes it upon, takes the responsibility to understand, to, to be an informed citizenry or, or it's gonna fall apart. I mean, we saw what happened on January 6th, people actually believing that, that Congress could overturn the electoral college or that Vice President Pence could overturn an election. I mean, and so I put foreign policy in the category of things that if we are going to thrive as a democracy, we have to have informed citizenry. Um, and, and obviously our place in the world, I go back to some of the things I mentioned about not being too, not being disrespectful, but senators were always, um, there, were, there were some senators, not all, some that were always trying to be the, you know what, you know, and, and, and trying to do things in foreign policy that were damaging to our nation, damaging to the world. And I just think that for our citizenry to understand, to demand uh, appropriate reaction to things is important. It's not as immediate as what's happening in their hometown. It's not as immediate as what is happening in their state. But let me just tell you this, um, the thing I fear most <laughs> Uh, you know, things go back and forth. Biden did a trillion dollar COVID bill. Republicans did this. I mean, things kind of go back and forth. The thing that would be so a, a world war of some type breaking out um, is the kind of thing that I worry that we wander into uh, without thinking and it escalates and all of a sudden we've done huge damage to the world. So it might not be immediate, but believe me, very important to pay attention to what we're doing around the world. Well, also, I mean, if you look at um, your time as working for the state and finance and your time as mayor, um, I mean, one of the things that Tennessee has really benefited from um, under Democrats and Republican governors has been foreign investment. Um, Chattanooga, yeah. obviously Volkswagen stands out as a you know, huge deal. Nissan here, uh, Japanese investment in the US, Canadian investment. Um, there's a world out there that can we can trade with and work with that will uh, benefit us all. No question. Um, and 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 those relations are relationships are so important. And uh, of course, the the city in our state that's benefiting more from this than anyone else is is Nashville. And 
certainly we've had a continuum of people like you who've reached out. Um, and let's face it, I mean, our environment here is so conducive to foreign direct investment. It just is. So uh, no question. Well, let me just conclude with this question um, about the future. I mean, you, um, you know, looking at national politics in this most recent election, um, you're a young man. Um, and do you have any inclination to get back into the game? Um, if, uh, if you were being considered for a position um, in the federal government, would you consider that? Um, or, or, or are you moving beyond that at this point? So, you know, especially when things began to happen after the election where, you, you know, people weren't even acknowledging that an election had been won and we moved on into January 6th. And so, yes, I mean, I, I had a two-year sabbatical mayor where I, I just didn't say anything publicly and I began speaking out. Um, here's, here's, I view myself as a, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people, you know, everybody says when you know, senators wake up every morning and look in the mirror at the next president, I just never have been that way. Um, I, I'm just, I'm not saying that to, I just haven't. Um, certainly when people mention to you, which they mentioned every senator, okay, you ought to run for president, you know, it makes you think about it a little bit, but, but uh, it's, it truly is just not on my mind. I, I'd like to be a part of the conversation. Thank you for letting me be a part of this one. I'd like to be a part of the conversation as to where our country goes, but I just don't view myself as the person that has to be doing that, although that is the one place where you can truly change the tone, uh, the way the country feels about itself, where it's going, the other positions, not so. Um, and as far as serving in a cabinet or something, I, I don't know, I, I, today it's just not something that's, uh, that's on my mind, but I thank you so much for asking and, and uh, who knows what happens in life. I tell young people, you know, you're told, yeah, all the time that life is short and you know and what I tell them is yeah life is actually long you just never know you know the relationships that you have the things that you do how things circle back around so just make sure as you're traveling through this this life that you're treating people with respect you're dealing with your your issues with integrity and and uh, who knows I mean my guess is mayor um, you'll be in a cabinet long before I ever will. And uh, uh, I, I just don't have any thoughts of that. I truly don't. Well, let me just say, um, I'm speaking for Carl Dean as a, as a Democrat, as a former mayor. Uh, your voice is one that is needed in the United States and your sense of moderation, of working together, common sense. Um, those are all things that are important. So uh, I hope you give it consideration and Again, you got uh, you got a lot more to, to give, I think. So oh, thank, thank you, you for I doing think. this. And I'm going to ask Pat to, if there are questions that we can go through. Mayor here. Dean, thank you. I've uh, I've been chomping at the bit here to, to uh, get a couple of questions in, but you did a great job uh, teeing up uh, all the, the critical issues. And Senator Corker, thanks so much uh, thank for you. doing this. And let me also thank you for uh, the time that you've spent when we bring delegations of students from Tennessee uh, to Washington when you were at the, the Capitol. Uh, you didn't just show up for a photo op and, and uh, walk away. You, you sat down and, and talked with our students and, and they walked away from those meetings really impressed with 
uh, understanding what was going on uh, uh, up in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and, and they appreciated uh, your time and your service. Uh, we do, we uh, missed a, a, maybe one or two questions that uh, our audience was observant enough to ask, and, and I've got one. Um, we're, we're low on time, so maybe a, a quick response, and I know it's difficult, but uh, COVID-19, the U.S. role in the world, we're talking about uh, um, vaccines uh, to other, other countries, American participation in the WHO. What, what uh, insights do you have on uh, how the United States' role in the world dealing with COVID-19 should play out? Well, I mean, I, I noticed where the uh, Biden administration is now shipping uh, dosages of AstraZeneca, I believe, other places. And uh, um, so, I you think know, Mexico was in the mix today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, you know, we need to support the, the World Health Organization. It's it's, again, another one of those ways that the mayor was referring to of us being able to come together and, and help uh, deal with other people. I, I do think that um, obviously, we need to do everything we can to get our own citizenry vaccine, uh, vaccined as quickly as possible. But, uh, you know, it's, and, and that's what those organizations are for, right? For, for, you know, it gives us the ability to take care of our own citizenry, but we, we have a pool of money and a group of people who can help make, uh, make it happen in other countries that just don't have the resources to, to vaccine their own people. So we need to be part and, and, and y'all know this because you're so informed, but you know, most, most Americans think that we spend vast, you know, 20% of our budget on foreign aid, on foreign issues. Y'all both know, I know, including the State Department and everything we spend on, on foreign policy and that kind of thing, and all of our aid, less than 1% of our budget. And I think a nation as, as great as ours, uh, again, should lead and with that 1% spending it wisely, uh, but helping other people's quality of life be better. As you know, uh, uprisings, extremists, they really fuel themselves in places where there's discontent. That's a long answer. I'm sorry to take so long. No problem. Let me uh, squeeze in one from uh, Professor Tom Schwartz at Vanderbilt. What do you think American policy should be toward Putin's Russia? We had a, another uh, report released, uh, the DNI, uh, this week talking about Russia and the election uh, but Putin, uh, Biden says he's a killer. Uh, what what should we be thinking about uh, how we deal with Russia? Well, uh, the the reason we have to deal with Russia is they have a, a large nuclear arsenal. But on every other scale, I mean, uh, you know, they're the size of Italy, you know, economically. So it's a it's a country that punches way behind, maybe beyond their weight. Putin is a savvy guy. I mean, he outfoxed us in Syria. It's unbelievable what he did. I mean, he, he so quickly turned the tables on us in Syria. So um, I, I don't look, I look at them as a different kind of uh, relationship. Uh, uh, obviously, we need to continue to have arms treaties, and obviously, we need to bring China in for it to have any impact anymore. But but uh, they're, they're, they're basically, you know, they have a chip on their shoulder about where they are relative to us, you know, the, the unraveling of the Soviet Union. And so Putin basically is a nuisance, right? I mean, things that we try to get done in the UN Security Council, he tries to not get done, try to un trying to undermine it. But beyond that, so we've got to focus on them. But that, to me, they're not, they're not the, the, the focus uh, they shouldn't focus, they shouldn't be the focus of the majority of our efforts. They're, they're a nuisance. 
And as we're out of time here, let me let me just ask one uh, closing question from Ambassador Charles Bowers, one of our board members at the World Affairs Council. How do you think President Biden is doing in the foreign affairs arena? Is he off to a good start? I I think his tone has been uh, been very good. Uh, I think Blinken's tone has been very good. Uh, I'll go back to the Middle East issue. I'm very concerned uh, that uh, instead of building off the one thing that you can say was, uh, or at least one of the things you can say the Trump administration was successful with, I'm very concerned about them wanting to jump too quickly uh, back into the arrangement with, with Iran. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's so early to tell. So right now we're still in the tone period and the tone's good. But as you know, that only lasts so long, and, and uh, we'll see how they, they carry themselves out. I'm interested to see what they end up doing with some of the trade issues that have been problematic um, also. Well, we have uh, many more questions, and uh, hopefully we'll invite you back, and you'll accept, and we can do some more of this, because there's certainly uh, a lot we can learn from your insights and perspectives on international affairs. And on behalf of the World Affairs Council, thank you again for doing this. Mayor Dean, anything to close with? No, just a final thank you to uh, the Senator, uh, Senator Corker. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I've, I really enjoy the conversation. Wish you the best going forward. And uh, we do want you to come back and do this again. You, uh, you, you have remembered a lot and you, you obviously have been thinking about a lot. So I think you've got a lot to offer the foreign relation people here in Tennessee who are concerned about these issues. I can't remember having uh, more, a more enjoyable one-hour interview in my life. So thank you, and thank you for going. <laughs> e thank you for going easy on me. And I know your audience is far more steeped in foreign policy than I am. Uh, I hope they suffered through this, and and I hope it was worthwhile for them. But uh, thank you so much. What a pleasure it's been, and I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Great. Thank you. Same here. And on behalf of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, thank you to everyone who came out tonight. We appreciate uh, you becoming members and supporting the World Affairs Council uh, through your donations. A reminder, just check our website, tnwac.org, for our upcoming events and for the opportunities to become members or to support the World Affairs Council. Thank you again, Senator Corker and Mayor Dean, and everyone have a safe and pleasant evening. Good night. Thank you.